Welcome to the Next in Time podcast, where we explore the fascinating depths of how people have the potential of impacting the world with the mission and vision of their project. Join us on this audio journey as we uncover the hidden gems of one's vision, delve into thought-provoking discussions of why they're pursuing it, and see how they're going to make an impact. If you're a curious person, this podcast is your go-to destination. Hey everyone, welcome to the Next in Time podcast. I'm your host, ST, and today our guest is Beth McDaniel. She is the co-founder and president of the award-winning paint and coatings company, Reactive Surfaces, and is looking to make a major impact to solve climate change issues with her company. So Beth, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, ST. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, same here. I'm glad that uh, we're able to have someone who is a very, who is a ardent environmentalist to be able to get on and talk about like what her what the vision is behind why you're trying to solve like one aspect of climate change. Yeah, yeah, of course. Well, um, we have a technology that is a climate change solution. Okay, yeah. so I'll start out with that. But I mean, why we're doing that is is you know a bigger question, but one that should not. <clears throat> We can't focus on that right now. We have to focus on solutions. And of course, there's every reason to do something about it. I mean, it was just um, just actually the other day in July yeah. that the chief um, secretary general of the UN, Antonio Guterres, said we, have, uh, we are no longer in the era of global warming. We have entered the era of global boiling. Yeah. And if you're from Austin, Texas, and we haven't seen temperatures below 105 in the last 60 days, pretty much, then you start believing it. You know, yeah. I grew up here and, and it was never that hot. I mean, it's, yeah. it's changed. Hey, yeah, don't worry. Heat waves are becoming more and more common everywhere you go, primarily, like, let's say if you go to, or nowadays, uh, most of the US, I mean, you know, right, is currently baked under all this, uh, these heat domes and, uh, if you notice like certain states like texas and arizona and new mexico they've gone they've hit temperatures above like 105 110 degrees which is uh really i don't arizona we can understand that's like a desert state but I still expect that yeah yeah and our friends in florida right now are getting hammered at this moment um by um a hurricane and yeah all that happened before but it's getting worse and it's gonna get much worse and like do you have heads in the sand like an ostrich is not going to help the situation so sorry about that so do you feel like the way climate change is being addressed from like global warming or anything that you kind of define this whole scenario this whole problem as like do you feel like they're really define more of a pro as a problem and not really give accurate solutions to really solve it well i mean there are solutions whether they all pan out is not necessarily um <clears throat> not necessarily the case Unfortunately, um, we need more and more solutions to add. We need more and to more tools in our toolbox. Okay, and um, not one thing is going to do it. Um, there's there's two basic things that need to happen. Emissions need to be reduced, and we need to pull CO2 out of the out of the atmosphere. Yeah. Okay, they need to happen simultaneously, and they both need to happen. Emissions reductions alone will not happen. There are some industries that are too hard to abate. And we don't want to give up flying or hamburgers or all those things that people freak out about. Okay. We don't want to give those up either. And right. 
Um, and so we want, and so our solution falls within the second group, which is carbon removal. <laughs> and so in order to be able to have any level of ind industry keep, you know, continue going because that's the society that we live in, we have to be able to pull down carbon dioxide. And you know what? It's up to those companies that are pumping it into the air to clean up their mess. It's okay. It's a cost of doing business that they're going to have to absorb. And we'll just all start working on that. But we have to have these carbon removal technologies. Um, and we have to promote that. And so what is like the difference between carbon capture and storage and like carbon removal? And like, why does that matter in general? Um, well, the difference between carbon capture and storage that refers to generally um, uh, direct air capture technologies, um, meaning um, technologies which capture CO2 from the ambient air as opposed to capturing it from, let's say, an industrial slipstream. Okay, uh, that's pumping out CO2. That's the distinction that they're making: is they're capturing it from the ambient air, and they're and the way that they're sequestering it or ensuring that that CO2 is not re-emitted, which is the second part of any effective <clears throat> carbon removal, is they're saying we're going to store that deep in geological, um, geological like caves underneath, you know, like two miles deep in the earth. Okay, so there's injection wells and a lot of oil companies would control this okay and what they're saying is we'll put this deep down in the earth and we'll store it in these geological features or we'll use it to pump out more oil which is a whole different thing okay and so there is kind of this uh in i think if you're just if you're just observing then it would be confusing because a lot of what's doing what's happening in the carbon capsule world if it's associated with oil companies some of that is being used to pump out more oil because carbon dioxide pumped into the ground is like kind of a fracking thing where it can pump out more oil. That is not carbon capture. That's not carbon removal. You're not removing anything, okay? It might be more a, a less uh, a carbon intensive way of getting oil, okay? But it's not removing CO2. Yeah, in a way, what you're trying what you're trying to do is remove CO two CO two from the atmosphere and then make it something more usable. Like that is more beneficial. But that's utilization, right? Yeah. That's utilization, and that can happen too. So you can take CO two out of the air and 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 use it in some sort of some people some companies are putting it into concrete. Okay, and that's sequestration for a period of time. I'm not exactly sure how long that's considered, but yeah. generally things that are a hundred years or more sequestered that they're, we're going to guarantee that they don't re-emit for a hundred years. It's, it's called durable sequestration in the carbon removal world. And so, um, how do you navigate the climate change debate when there's like so much negative and positive propaganda from every side of the corner? Well, if you're asking how I do it or how one does it, Okay. Like how do you, how can, like basically how you and how the other person can do it. Like, let's say, I mean, okay. one, one thing about what, like one thing is that climate change has this very negative connotation on one side, but then it has like a very apocalyptic connotation on another side. And it has a very, like the way we're supposed to navigate this kind of space, it, it just feels like people just go into the most extreme uh, arguments and extreme solutions where people, it's like, you have to 
give up as you mentioned earlier you, you don't want to, we don't want to give up things but they say you got to give up everything just to reduce emissions by just 0.5 percent <laughs> well what i would suggest is go with the science okay and and the best science to go with is the international panel on climate change and the reason for that is because that is about that is so many thousands i don't know 3500 scientists uh, globally that come together and they come together in a in to a consensus and write a report on it. So I would say that is the official report of like what most scientists on earth feel. Okay. So if you want to go with science and you want to go with fact, then that's where I would go. And they have all sorts of the International Panel on Climate Change has has um, published a, a number of different reports on what needs to happen and how it needs to happen. And so um, I stick with the facts is what I do. I don't try to convince people of things that are conspiracy theories and stuff like that. But again, we're just, uh, we're inventors and we just came up with a solution. And I'm not here really to convince anyone of one way or another, but we have a solution is the deal. And it falls within carbon removal. And so, yeah, there's lots of argument, but I would tell, I would tell someone who doesn't believe if you, you know, if you don't believe in science, I'm not going to convince you otherwise, but if you believe in science, that's where you need to go for, you know, the, the, the most well-renowned scientific evidence and proof of climate change. Okay. So before we go into your venture reactive surfaces, let's get to know more about you, Ben. Like tell me about more about your background. Like what made you become the person you are currently? Wow. Okay, that's a big question. Um, well, you know, when you get it, you wouldn't know this yet, but when you get into your 50s, you've accumulated a lot of experiences and a lot of networks and a lot of things kind of start coming together. So um, I have experiences that came from all different walks of life and uh, I was not, I never would have expected this is where I would have ended up. But um, just briefly, I guess through the history of, of Beth, I mean, I grew up in Houston. Um, I went to the University of Texas and studied finance. Um, my my family, my dad was a chemist, and so we were, um, yeah, there was definitely chemistry going on, but none of his kids were really interested in it, and he didn't really push that on us. But he was also a businessman. We did a lot of business. In fact, we owned a paint company, and that's the business that I ended up in, and I never would have thought that at all. We just owned a paint store, not a company. We owned a paint store, kind of put me through college kind of thing. Um, but uh, then I ended up going to law school um, later on when I was like 28, I guess I was about your age, and I went to law school and um, thought I would just be a lawyer, but I didn't really want to be a courtroom lawyer. And so I ended up being a transactional lawyer. And again, my family was in a lot of businesses and I started doing uh, land development and real estate right out of um, law school and kind of learned how to deal with government entities and getting stuff done on a bigger scale. Um, <clears throat> and then I, um, uh, well, then I met my husband. He's this crazy scientist. Uh, it's like living with Bill Nye, the science guy. I was, I was gonna say, I was gonna say that. And it's like, oh, this, I, I, could, I could picture your husband being like Bill Nye and ha being more <laughs> of the, or maybe being one of those very, what do you call, kooky scientist types. Like he's just very into the world of scientific the, the science, the world of science, the scientific method, the scientific, basically everything has to be solved in a very scientific manner. I can picture yeah, that. Yeah, but just his brain, I mean, in fact, the, the, the background that you're in, he's a space guy too. And he loved, he's, he's a um, biochemist is what he got his um, PhD in. 
And in our science, actually, our technology is the is the merger of biochemistry into a coding solution or a, or a material science. Okay, so he's definitely using that. But he is so interested in finding life on other planets. I mean, he's done lots of scientific uh, expeditions to that um, to that degree, and 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 um, he has inventions uh, for actually locating life on Mars. So yeah, well, what types of inventions does he work, did he build? Everything you see behind me are all patents. <laughs> That's more patents than I have in terms of uh, certifications on anything. <laughs> um, yeah, so he's inventing all the time. Um, I'm sorry, what was your question, SD? Now, what was that, uh, now what types of inventions did he really invent? Like, come out, did he come out of the woodwork? Yeah. Um, so as a, um, after he got his, during his PhD, he, um, like he, uh, cloned a gene and, um, that's used, um, in our technology. That is a technology that breaks down. Um, it's a paint that breaks down, um, nerve weapons, chemical weapons. Uh, what he was doing in college was long before 9-11 when, when weapons of mass destruction became in the public eye, just something we all thought about, right? But before that, he had done this work and it was it was about detoxifying um, pesticides. You know, how pesticides have, you know, caused birth defects, they're overused and they're, they cause birth defects in third world countries and, and stuff like that if they're not regulated. And so pesticides and nerve weapons, it ends up, are very chemically um similar and so we put his cloned enzyme into a paint and um if a if there was an attack a, a chemical weapons attack in a room and all of the nerve gas droplets landed on because they are droplets and they landed on surfaces that had been painted then you would be able to eat off that surface in 24 hours wow. because that enzyme would go to work breaking down that that toxic nerve gas um, droplets all over and and it would be safe within like 24 hours very interesting in a way that's i mean that's a very complicated amalgamation of things coming together <laughs> each one of our technology platforms like that that was the first okay that's what got our our company jump started was that technology um and then since then we've we've developed other technology platforms um antimicrobial technologies for coatings that are antimicrobial for everything from surgery surgical suites to like embedded um um surgical devices you know catheters and such um so that's one platform it might be you it's just a coating that's antimicrobial and stays antimicrobial on a surface after it's dried and it just continually is as good as like you sprayed lysol on the surface right but with Lysol, you have to keep on spread it, spraying it because it only works once. And then once that surface gets fouled again, it's just a disinfectant. It doesn't stay there. And so this would be in the coating and it just stays there and does its work. So this is referring to reactive surfaces, right? That you're, mm -hmm. that you're trying to say, okay. Yeah, because I was, I was trying to really get to understand. I thought this was meant for a different invention altogether. I didn't know it was like for reactive surfaces we were describing. Oh, are you talking about the climate change innovation? I think it was something, yeah, like what you're doing right now is like, yeah. you're trying so it, to, yeah. 
Yeah, so this is one of our technology platforms. So what we, what we started out with were um, biomolecules and we added those to paints and coatings. And we created some sort of functionality like I described, okay? Like the one that breaks down um, toxic chemical weapons and the one that is an antimicrobial on a surface. And this time in light of the urgent situation with climate change, we tried something different. Steve, in one of his expeditions, his space expeditions, had noticed something on a rock out in the middle of the Arctic. It was a red splash of paint. He thought it was like a GPS, you know, um, sign or something. So he goes over there and he looks at it and it's not, it's lichen, you know, like you see in the forest growing up. And, and he was like, that's like paint, you know, how does this work? So that was the genesis for his idea to put algae in a coating system because yeah. that's what's going on in a lichen and uh algae is photosynthesizing along with the help of a fungus that's helping it along the way basically okay yeah. we designed a paint that works the same way and yeah. that paint has algae in it that photosynthesizes pulling down co2 like from the ambient air so it's a direct air capture carbon removal system it keeps it in the paint until we decide to do something different with it, but we can durably sequester it. Okay, now fast forward to now what you're building with reactive surfaces. So was this idea, did this whole thing come up because you, because of your husband who just decided to really just find ways to really make this work together? Or what's the genesis behind like the, uh, the start of reactive, the company itself? Well, we've been in business for like 20 years. So we've, this has been part of our 20 year old marriage. <laughs> Okay. I mean, this is our other kid. Um, and so what was the genesis behind us starting this company yeah. was, was 9-11. Really? Actually, it was because since Steve had cloned this gene that was in, you know, was it published and, and someone got a hold of his publications and said, this is something that could be used against chemical weapons. We think this might be used against chemical weapons. He was contacted by the press and they asked him and he said, well, I don't know. It might be able to be used, but chemical weapons are droplets. They're not, they're not um, aerosols. And so they're gonna light on surfaces. So you gotta do something with the surface, like maybe put a paint, put it in a paint or something. And that was when the light bulb appeared above his head. And then they said, well, can you do it? Someone ended up raising the money to prove that we could. And then we did. Oh God. Yeah. That's a very, I think, I think nowadays more and more people are looking to really make more investments into solving these kinds of issues. I think that's why they were able to give you and your husband all of the necessary funding to be able to get this, get this venture going. Right. Well, yeah, that's, it was kind of a friends and family fundraising um at that time um that got us going and we put a lot of our own money into it um sometimes you know we're usually hired by someone to create a, a coding system in that in that company that you know has certain functionality and so someone will hire us to create a a product line sometimes we're not hired it's just we have an idea like carbon capture coatings and it's important and it's existential and we have to put all of our tools to work for us. This is our tool, paint. This is where we work. And we're willing to put our time and energy and our labs into developing this technology just for the good of humanity. And so hopefully it'll get funded. We are seeking funding to grow faster, to scale more, but the paint works great. We've had it for five years. 
it captures carbon dioxide from the air, which is great. Great, great to hear. And what is the, uh, so who's your target clientele right now with what you're building? Good question. And it's not so linear, but um, so we always work, try to work with paint companies. Okay. We need a paint partner in this because we're not a paint manufacturer. Okay. So we develop product lines up to the point that they get to go on the shelf. Okay. And then someone else needs to take that and manufacture it. So in this case too, <clears throat> we need a paint manufacturer. So we're talking to some paint companies about this. Um, and we license our technology to the paint industry usually, or to like original equipment manufacturers, you know, your car manufacturers or something like that, that have a paint department, we might be working with them. So in this, in the case of carbon capture coatings, also we've developed <clears throat> a whole system, a modular system to put these carbon capture coatings in to maximize the efficiency of the system um, because we're in we're in a bind okay we can't work slow we gotta work fast and um, so we developed a modular system that's another thing that we're hoping to be able to license would be to you know all around the world is yep. just put these modules out and let's start capturing some of the co2 from the air yeah in a way like what Imagine I full fields of these modules okay yeah like Right now, what I see right here on the website is that you're trying to solve many different problems with coatings. Like, for example, you want to solve the food spoilage issue with proper coating for that can help preserve food versus, let's say, grease buildup in sewer pipes and, you know, using self-cleaning coating. Like, so are you trying to get involved with different kinds of solutions or what, or do you have like a main focus? No, we stay in our lane because we're, we're, we're the best at it. You know, we're the best at putting biological living organisms sometimes into paints and coatings. And we have, a, we're also patent, we have a patent law firm. So we have a very well protected um, technology, you know, lots of technology, a whole, whole volumes of it. And so, and it's well protected, it's ours. And so um, we, um, you know, we have, uh, a lot of ways of you know implementing that and I, I don't know our cup is full okay we don't need to move into anything else <laughs> yeah because you have primarily like six kinds of problems you want to solve with this kind of coding and uh, I mean in ways it's more like what you're trying to do is make the surfaces less toxic right like let's say for example if I want to touch plastic or if I have something stored in plastic that could always cause you know yeah, you know, with, with plastic, that has a lot of bit of a negative effects on us, let's say both for us uh, in terms of health and the environment. So are you looking to do, trying to solve, let's say a plastics problem and say that, okay, that coating will be able to protect us from that, from the negative externalities or something like that? We haven't yet, but we do try to recycle using plastic. Like we want to use plastic in the ocean, for instance, to create all of our, our, our substrate for painting carbon coat capture coatings on, you know, that, that kind of thing. But, um, no, we haven't actually addressed that issue, but we do just look, there's, there's so much functionality that nature provides. So it's just, it's an engine that's just happening all the time. You know, when we see a problem, we're trying to, to fix it. Microbes are a huge problem on surfaces. And so yeah. I mean, we could spend the rest of our lives doing that. And what is the main idea behind, let's say, uh, I mean, for what reactive surfaces does, that you have different 
kinds of people like it's do you feel like um sorry let me let me word this question better but right now do a lot of are a lot of people in austin let's say because that's where you're from utilizing reactive surfaces to be able to really coat a lot of their like all the toxic nature yet uh well no we're we're not dealing with end users we're a business to business company okay and so it takes someone else like using our technology and their technology we're kind of the intel inside okay and so um yeah that's that's not the way it goes with carbon capture coatings we have it has not gotten to a commercial level what we are doing right now is we're taking that because we always take very scientific steps you know towards things and so what we're doing is we are um we're coming out of the lab i mean we're still in the lab because we're always in the lab optimizing but we go we're starting our pilot facility and that's in tracy california in the san joaquin valley and um so we're putting our modules out with carbon capture coatings in there and we're going to actually capture we can capture co2 with it too okay so we can yeah i mean let's say if if i want to have my house painted Uh and you know because right now if i want to have a different paint but at the same time that but but at the same time i want to make it very environmentally sustainable from from doing that i can just literally call you up and say beth can you give me that or do i have to call up the paint company which don't yeah, you would have to get it from a paint company because we're not a paint manufacturer yeah we just we just design and develop technology up to the point where someone could could manufacture it and distribute it okay so you know, what, another- so the way you're trying to do is like you're trying to sell your rights of your product to these manufacturing companies for them to be able to do all the work for you for okay that's very that's a very a lot of work thing. before <laughs> but we, I, we you know we I mean, been- yeah, I mean you're 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 a part of the back i'm talking you're you did all the back end work they are doing the front end work in a way if you right we're not manufacturers we don't have yeah we're just not that yeah so where do you see this going and and do you feel like you're going to be expanding beyond let's say just the pit the manufacturers and all that ever or is this only going to be no focused? i think this is gonna we have actual countries that are interested in setting up a carbon capture coatings facility and i will i will correct a, or, or something that's probably going on in your listeners minds and that is this is not a paint that you would put on the outside of your building you have to open your mind a little bit about paints we design paints for all different substrates and all different applications indoor outdoor you know so there's so that would vary a lot we all, we will develop that but in a module what we can do is we control everything right we control the gas exchange and we control the amount of sunlight and the amount of uv and stuff like that so there's there's more efficiency that we can get out of a modular system than slapping it on walls so that would be a different product but we will we'll develop that too okay that's mm-hmm. that's a little bit more it's just less uh urgent right now and so we're trying to meet the the biggest need which is to pull down as much co2 as possible as quickly as possible I mean, in the way where you're trying to pull CO2, um, let's say if if all else, if something were to happen where okay, no matter how how much CO2 you pull, and still the uh, the the heat waves continue, well, how would how would you make those adjustments? Well, we'd have to scale up to a gigaton. Okay, any technology, any carbon removal technology that is going to make an impact will only make an impact at a gigaton level, which is a billion tons. That means pulling down a billion tons in an in a year. Okay. We have to start uh we have to start thinking on that level. At this time in the carbon removal market, 
the best they're doing is 4,000 tons a year. Yeah. So we are so far off our mark. <laughs> I'm sorry to be so depressing about it, but yeah. we need to ramp up all these carbon removal technologies as much as possible. And I'm sure, I'm sorry, I, I might not have answered your question. No, no, I mean, I think that was what, it was, the way I was trying to word that question was, you know, I was trying to go deeper into my thoughts in terms of how I can ask better questions because this is a very unique way of really solving a major, major solving a, a CO2 issue. Cause you know, my, my major concern has been like, you know, heat waves these last couple but what of years. if we still have heat waves, right? Yeah. We don't know. I mean, we can't not do it for fear. It won't work. Okay. Yeah. Um, we know we can measure to the molecule, how much CO2 we're pulling down in this system. We can measure to the molecule. It ends up in algal biomass and then we do something else with it to permanently sequester it. We can measure to the molecule how much CO2 was permanently sequestered. Yeah. Okay, so um, that's, yeah. I mean, that's how we we're gonna have to do it. And so I don't know if it's gonna, we think it'll have the intended effect because we know what the problem is measured in molecules. And so if you pull it out, you know, we should, but we also have to have a reduction of emissions by 2100 to zero. And by 2050, like by 40%. I mean, do you ever plan on using this to convert to actual energy that we can use to that? that... There are energy generating parts of our system. Yeah, it's kind of hard for me to go into and I have to get pretty granular about the technology. But yeah, for instance, if you biochar, that's one end of life for our for our tech, for our um, carbon dioxide. Yeah. We take the algal biomass that's been captured. You can biochar it. That's basically like, like um, creating a charcoal briquette. It's like you burn it really hot without oxygen and it becomes, and you can grind it down into um, something that becomes like a, a soil amendment to make the soils actually absorb more water and become better carbon sinks. That's cool. Everyone thinks it's a cool way to do carbon removal and we might use it in part of our process. If we, I mean, that's one thing that we can do and, and we're very familiar with it. Um, and, but um, what uh, that does, that whole biochar, it's called pyrolysis and it actually creates energy and oil in its own process. It actually runs itself. It's a self-generating energetic thing. You can tell I'm not a scientist, but it's true. <laughs> Um, that's what you tell it. That's, that's what I'm saying about pyrolysis. Yeah, that, that's what you ask your husband for help and <laughs> for yeah. I think we're gonna wrap up this uh, conversation by asking this one final question by saying, where we say, what advice would you give to people out there, like young aspiring other entrepreneurs, scientists who really want to change the world? Find out what you do well. You know, in our case, it was paint. We were already in that business. We already knew so much about paint. You know, what do you know well? Um, and apply that. And it doesn't have to be just a scientist. I mean, I'm a talky lawyer, you know? What do I have? I can go get in people's face. I can go ask, I am not afraid to ask my lawmakers to do the right thing. I, I suggest everyone out there is telling you, remember, they work for us, okay? <laughs> Yeah. And same with corporations. You're a shareholder, you go to your corporation and tell them you need them to clean up their act and to pay for carbon removal. And right. shareholders are really starting to have a, uh, have an effect. Um, and so um, I would say if you're, but yeah, if you're a scientist, you know, then we need your brain. 
If you're an inventor, use what you got. Yep. There's no limitation. I mean, when we got 40 gigatons to pull out of the air, we need all the help we can get. There's no, there's not a competitive spirit. There's only a, come on, out of way, boy. <laughs> all right, cool, Beth. Thank you so much for coming on the Next in Time podcast. And we look forward to seeing how reactive services will, you know, change to transform the, uh, the pain space. Okay. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Next in Time podcast. We hope you enjoyed diving into the intriguing vision of our guest today. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on social media to stay updated on future episodes. If you have any suggestions or feedback, we'd love to hear from you. Until next time, stay curious and keep exploring.